This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 132. And the quote of the day is, don't let the success of yesterday lull you into today's complacency. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And this session is brought to you by Evans, maker of the inventive 16-inch bass drum head. From single-ply clear all the way to the EMAT heavyweight bass batter, Evans is producing heads to maximize the power and nuance of smaller bass drums. Check them out today at evansdrumheads.com. This podcast is free thanks to the good folks at DW Drums. And as you know, I've been playing DW for a very long time, not only because they make great handcrafted drums, but also because they support and foster drumming initiatives all over the world, much like this podcast. Do me a favor, say thanks to them. Head over to DWDrums.com. Now, as you know, I want to help as many drummers as possible. I want to help you with your career. I want to help you in drumming. I want to help you in life. And the way that I do this outside of the podcast is through one-on-one career consulting and life consulting. If that's something that you're, sounds like you're interested in, head over to drummersresource.com forward slash coaching has all the information on there. And we can set up a 15 minute Skype call to go over your goals and to see if we're a good fit for each other. Again, drummersresource.com forward slash coaching. Now, the interview that I have today is Donnie Grindler, and this interview is awesome because we talk a lot about what I call the other side of the business, the stuff that no one really talks about. We talk a lot about networking. We talk about failure. We talking about how moving to a new city, how you can hit the ground running, the things that he did when he moved to L.A., um, from Detroit to L.A., and how he really got the got the ball rolling and started getting gigs, and how he, he niched himself into the electronic world and all sorts of stuff. So a ton ton of ton 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 of great information in here and i'm really stoked to have them it was a really great conversation so i'm gonna get right into it with donnie grindler donnie what's going on man thank you so much for doing this i appreciate it oh nick it's my pleasure you know i appreciate uh, you reaching out and uh have an interest in my work and i'm just looking forward to chatting with you absolutely man i i definitely have an interest in your work and i know that the audience is going to get a ton out of this so before we really dig into a lot of of what you're doing now i always like to get the backstory of the guests i always like to know where you come from why you do what you do and and who you are and what you do specifically so give the audience a, a little bit about about you who you are what you do and your back story man that's a that's a huge question um i'll try to narrow it down to you about have 90- 17 seconds <laughs> i was no, gonna say I'll, I'll narrow it down to about 90 minutes if that's cool <laughs> yeah. um you know um i'm 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 a normal midwest kid i grew up in detroit michigan um to very uh to very supportive parents and the cliff notes version is that um you know when i was growing up i started playing saxophone when i was nine years old and my hands were so small at the time that i couldn't even really play saxophone that well so my my father said listen the teacher says you're not any good would you like to play another instrument you know (laughs) and i'm like to put it bluntly exactly would you like to play something else i thought you know i really like the drummers in the back of the room 
room, they seem like they're having a lot of fun. And at that time, back in those days, there was just a pro drum set, right? So at the time, you get a practice pad and a pair of sticks, and that's it. So my old man was like, well, you know, that's 20 bucks. Yeah, we're in, you know, drums, here we go. And, and you know, I took lessons and learned all my rudiments and did all that stuff. And then, you know, as I went through the public school system in Detroit, which at that time was good, I, I did like uh, – I started playing in the jazz band in like in seventh grade, and then I did like the concert band. And when I went to high school, I did the marching band, the jazz band, the symphonic band. I played like show tunes with the show choir, and I just really kind of just progressed through that whole thing. And you know, kind of like Superman telling you to eat your veggies and your wheaties and all that stuff. It was like all my teachers were saying, "Hey, you got to learn your rudiments, and you got to play, and you, you know, got to learn to read charts and all that stuff." And I got a scholarship to go to Berklee College of Music um, in Boston, and. I got in when I was 18 and through there I just, you know, I uh, I finished when I was 20 due to some advanced placement and things like that and uh, um, had some good opportunities while while I was there and I decided because when I got out of Berkeley I couldn't even play in bars because <laughs> I was 20 <laughs> that, that I would pursue a master's degree and I received a scholarship to go to Wayne State University back in Detroit and then I did a master's in jazz composition as well. Um, and so I got, out of, I got out of school when I was 21 with two degrees in music and I just started duking it out in clubs. Um, mm -hmm. you know, not nothing glamorous, you know, playing sports bars and bars around Detroit. And, you know, those gigs led to, uh, you know, regional tours, which then led to, you know, you know, other gigs and national tours. And you know, long story short, after doing that for about four or five years, club work and casuals and general business gigs, I just started really knocking around and ended up in Los Angeles to do a session. And uh, I looked around and thought, man, this is for me. You know, like I love the weather. <laughs> I was going to say, it's so hard to get there and to be like, man, this sucks. You know, like it's it's pretty impossible. In, in this particular record I was doing at the time, um, you know, I was done with my bed. This is when you still recorded the tape. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I got done with, with my tracks, which was done in a day, I was hanging out at the beach while the rest of the band was in the studio. So I was hanging out in Venice Beach and stuff. I thought, I have to live here. And, right. um, you know, all along the way. So after, after doing that for a bit, um, I basically, you know, I, I kind of I went back to Detroit for a while and I put, uh, I put some money away. And about eight months later, I was out in Los Angeles with, nice. with my wife. And so same thing, starting over. So then it was. So how old were you when you moved? I was 25. Okay. I think the one thing just to touch on before we go any further is the fact that you went home and saved some money because a lot of people are like, well, I'm just going to throw my drums in the car and move to LA, which oh, yeah. is foolish. You know, I always, I like the five to 10,000 rule. It's like, put five or 10 grand away and then go to LA and, or any city and get ready for the phone not to ring for a oh, while. Oh man, you know, you know, Nick, I mean, like, let's touch on that for a second because the other thing with that is, um, you know, it's feast or famine in, in the mm -hmm. business. And so, um, you know, at that time in that era, you know, I was playing seven nights a week, sometimes twice a day, you know, and, and making good money. But then you would go stretches for three months where you're working all the time. And then you have a month or two stretch where you're not working that much. And so really being um, frugal with your finances early on is important. Mm -hmm. um, number one. And, and so putting money away for those lean times is, is super important. And also, I can't stress enough, even when you're just starting out, and you're just, you're, you're, I don't want to say just, but you know, you're playing club gigs, you're duking it out, you're making, you're making money. Having an accountant that's familiar with self-employed musicians or self-employed people 
is so important because you, um, without going into the details, if you're what's called a Schedule C, you have to pay both sides of your taxes, the employment right. side right. and the employee side. So, you know, if you don't know those things at the end of the year, you owe a, a bunch of money. And so the, what kind of enabled me, like as you pointed out, to kind of be successful early on was I put money away for a rainy day plus the move. I never spent more than I made ever. And, um, you know, I was always cognizant of like the phone may stop ringing because right. no matter no matter how great I think I am at that particular time or even now, it, there's so many more factors involved than just how awesome I think I am. Right. <laughs> you, right. Know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, so it, it, it's You're really like, why is the phone not ring? I did my paradiddles last night. I mean, I don't I don't get why it's the phones. They, they should see that. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, that it's such a larger topic. Um, that I could go on for days, but, you know, being smart with your money, investing Mm -hmm. for a rainy day, having a good personality, being easy to work with, um, being open to new ideas and and realizing that it's a business of relationships. It's not just who, you know, it's how you treat those people. It's, it's trying, it's trying to make an environment of, of empathy, of trust, of, of of a nurturing environment. So when you work together, people want to be around you and and Mm -hmm. being genuine and not just doing it so that you can make an extra couple hundred bucks. And and when you, when you do that, those people follow you through your career and you pull each other up by your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. And so it's all the, and notice we're not even talking about what styles you have to learn or like how you have to play or the sounds you have to get on the kit. I mean, we're talking like people skills that, you know, people and financial skills to help you even get to that second level. Right. And one of the things that I focus on with Drummer's Resource is not necessarily the playing side of playing. I talk about it a fair amount, but the other side that nobody really talks about is the the networking, the people skills, the business side of it. You know, Russ Miller, I did an interview with him and I love it. He said, it's not the music hangout with your friends. It's the music business. So you have to oh, yeah. run you know, you have to run your business and all of the other things that go into that. Like if you run a business, you have to have projections of what you're going to do in the next couple of years. And maybe you don't necessarily need to do that as a musician, but you got to have goals and you got to set those goals and, and work toward achieving them and things like that where people, I think a lot of times, some of the, some of the pitfalls may be, well, I play really well, so that should be good enough. And, right. you know, right. and it's like, well, there's a lot of people out there that play really, really well, but you got to sort of master those other things as well, or at least be really good at them. You know, yeah, I mean, that's that's the definite truth. I mean, you know, in Los Angeles, everybody can play the drums, mm-hmm. right? It's like everybody is great. Anybody that's playing a gig is great. Mm-hmm. And so it's what other things you bring to table besides the or in addition to the talent on the drums. And, you know, Russ is a good buddy of mine and we, we talk about this stuff quite often. And, you know, it's like you might be on stage two hours a day. So it's what happens in those other 22 hours that's so important. And uh, it's what kind of person you are. It's about showing up on time. It's about showing up prepared, knowing the music inside and out and and really having that stuff together. You know, mm-hmm. you were talking about networking. You know, we're talking about my story moving to L.A. When I first got to L.A., I had zero work. Right. Um, and, I, and I had buddies like Russ and Greg Bissonette, and I didn't want to call them and go, hey, I'm here. Hook me up. <laughs> you know? like, right. Exactly. And that's not going to happen anyway because they're trying to provide for their families. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so what I did, my strategy was just as it was in Detroit, is I would go out to a club every night. And I didn't have much money, so I would nurse one beverage, right? right? Like I, I was being frugal with my money. I would nurse one beverage and I would talk to as many people as I could. And I would say, and I'd say, oh, you know, I'm new in town. I'm from Detroit. You know, I play music. You know, your band sounds great. You know, mm-hmm. I just, just want to, I heard great things about your band. I wanted to just listen to you guys. And I really like this and this about the band. 
And then they may go, hey, man, you know what? You know, that's awesome. Are you going to be here all night? If you are, why don't you sit in on the last couple of tunes of the night? Right. And then so I would sit in and I would play really well. You know, I would kick ass and they'd they would more often than not would ask me for my card. Hey man, mm-hmm. you got a card? Right. And getting, giving someone your card doesn't mean you're number one on their list. It means you're number 15 on their list. Mm-hmm. And the other 14 people have to be sick, dying or dead <laughs> before you get the call. And, right. Right. But it, that day eventually comes, right? Then you're right. 13 on their list. Then you're nine on their list. Then you're two on their list. And then maybe you're their number one call sub. Right. You know, and and then maybe you're their number one guy. And so I did that every night for six to eight months, just hanging out, shaking hands, meeting people and not asking for the opportunity to, be, to sit in, but rather being invited to mm-hmm. um, just because I was I was very non-confrontational, non-threatening about it and just tried to network. After about a year in L.A., I probably had one or two gigs a week, which wasn't bad. It was a good start. And right. then the next year I had four or five gigs a week. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, fast forward by the fifth year of being in L.A., I was working all the time. I was doing sessions and, right. and gigs and I started to tour. And, and and that's when it really started to take off after about five years. Um, and it was just five years of hustle and returning calls on time. When I did get the opportunity to do a gig, I would know the music backwards and forwards. I'll give you an example if you don't mind a little story. No, let's do it, man. I love this. So, one of my one of my heroes, Denny Freeman. Um, he's a very well known Austin, Texas guitar player. Hung out with Jimmy and Stevie Vaughan. Founded the Cobras with them together. And he had called. We had done a session together when I still lived in Detroit and came out to L.A. He finds out I'm in L.A. Says, "Hey, man." He was using Clem Burke, the drummer from Blondie, for mm-hmm. his gigs. And he goes, uh, "Clem just broke his hand or his foot snowboarding." Um, and he goes, "He goes, so we're playing tonight." at this theater and we're filming a video. Can you make it? Can you fill in for Clem? And I said, sure. Um, you know, what tunes do you want me to learn? He goes, meet me at the Starbucks in Studio City. So it's Saturday afternoon. You know, I drive to Studio City, which is just a few miles from my house. And he hands me at this time, this is way before iTunes or anything, hands me a stack of CDs like that. And I said, cool, which tunes? He goes, all of them. Because <laughs> it's like a 90 minute set, right? So, right. I don't even get to the drums that day. I don't even practice the tunes. I literally chart each one of them out on like a three by five card, you know, Mm -hmm. verse, eight bars, eighth note groove, bridge, halftime shuffle, eight bars, you know, break, chorus, eight bars, you know, and I did that with one listen to like, let's just assume it was 30 tunes. And I went there that night and I got by by the skin of my teeth. And I thought I give myself a C or a B minus, you know, because it's a lot of stuff. Yeah. And. Clem never played with him again. And Clem's awesome. I kept the gig, you know, like, yeah. And we did records together and they introduced me to other guys. And it's that sort of work ethic that keeps you working. Like I learned 30 tunes in like five hours and then went, you know, and just went to the gig and covered the gig. And that doesn't make me, it doesn't make me an awesome technician. It just means that I respect the gig. Mm -hmm. I show up on time and I do, and I do my job and you know, Clem Burke is a legend. He's awesome. You know, but it was just, I was in that moment and the guys got comfortable with me after a few gigs and then that turned into more work. Right. Right. You know, and I should thank Greg Bissonette for teaching me how to chart stuff that way. Cause he's got a cool shorthand method and we both grew up in Detroit a couple miles from each other. And same thing, just like a lead sheet verse, eight bars, you know, chorus, eight right, bars, right, right. break, you know, and just really learning tunes quickly. And so when I, my goal is when I play is, 
yeah, I want to sound like me, but first and foremost, I want to cover the gig and I want to make the leader happy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a service industry, right? It's not a me industry. And so that, that's just one illustration of, of, you know, work ethic and attitude and just, you know, wanting to do well versus wanting to show off. Right. Do you have any, um, do you have any like literature or anything about writing those, those lead sheets? You know, I, I, I've done classes here at Musicians Institute that, that sort of talks about that. I don't think I've ever, it's such a hard thing to teach by seeing it on paper. Right. You know? The reason why I ask, because I know a lot of people ask me about it. And, you know, for me, I kind of have like my own system that I don't, yep. <laughs> I could teach you, but it's like, it's not going to make any sense <laughs> to anybody else. So I'm like, okay, so an L means uh verse and T means, co- it's like, you know, it's all this stupid stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. but I always tell people to just use the, the Nashville number system. You know, because there's at least a book about it that you can read. But I'd be interested to see like how you and how you and Greg uh, chart stuff. You know, I should Greg have asked had, him. I just interviewed. I, I interviewed him when, last time I was out in L.A. Yeah, he's got a great. Uh, he had there was an old VHS video, which is dating myself. That was like called Studio and Big Band. Not no, that's a Houghton thing. It was uh, it was like playing with a band or, you know, Greg was playing with a band, his second DVD. And he talks about it. Um, I'll try to put together like a two minute video, maybe, and I'll send it to you. Just do something uber quick and dirty. Yeah, you know? that, I mean, char, you know, just like chart a tune, and yeah, that, I mean that would be awesome. I could get, I, I'll put it up on the site, and and people can check it out. I'll put it in the show notes for the podcast and everything. I think that'd be awesome. Oh man, I'd be happy to. There's a trick I do them on three by five cards, so I can tape them to my rack tom because I don't need to play the rack tom, right? Like, and right. so so you're looking straight ahead. So if you're on camera. You're just like this, and you're like eight bar verse, and you're looking down just for a second, you know, nice. and nobody knows. <laughs> I like, well, now everyone knows. Cats like, out of the exactly. bag. <laughs> there, there's that one. And then the other trick is I have a music stand where I like cut the middle bar off. So it's just literally a stand, like just the, the, the plate in the legs. Uh, right. And it's super low. So it sits behind a, a, a wedge on stage. Uh-huh. So you can't even see that I'm reading a chart. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. You know, this is secrets of the pros, ladies and gentlemen. This is how it's right, done. Right. You know, <laughs> there's no teleprompters. You just tape that tape right to the top. Yeah. And it's just about <laughs> learning a lot of tunes um, in a short amount of time. And then another another sort of tip with that um, is that I keep all those charts. Mm-hmm. And I put them in, you know, and I used to put them in a file cabinet way back in the day. Now I scan them and they're on my iPad. And th- so if I only play with an artist once a year, I'm not relearning the same tunes over and over. Right. You know, I just sort of open that back up and go do the gig. I might play it through them once before the gig or rehearse them a day or two before, but I'm mm-hmm. not rememorizing things. I'm cataloging stuff. Nice. I'm actually getting, I'm just going to start playing with a, my old band that I played with years ago and we wrote a ton of tunes, like 50 tunes. And now I'm like, man, I got to relearn all these tunes yep. again. I was like, why didn't we think of this? But we should have just written 10 tunes and been done with it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. And then you're, you know, you're doubling up on your effort and that's what you, you were going back to like projections and time management. And like, you know, it's like, even when I do sessions and stuff and I'm sure Russ and the guys all do this too. It's like, I use this snare drum on this tune. I use right. this head, uh, you know, because somebody's like, I want that. And mm-hmm. since we're in a and since we're in a service industry, you want to be able to give it to them. You want to be able to say that was this drum with this tuning, and you know I know this tune. Or yes, I ha- I have that red shirt that you like so much. Right. Or, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like oh, you know you need me to be a blonde drummer for that gig. I'm your guy. I can See? do that. I can yeah. do that. 
see you in 36 hours as a blonde, you know, I'm the guy, like that's the stuff that gets you the gig because you play well, right. in addition, in addition to playing well, like it's assumed that we can all play well and we have a good time and we have a good sound. It's all the other things. Yeah. All the, all the, uh, the intangibles, I feel, because I feel like a lot of that gets overlooked too, that yeah. you know, are not overlooked. I don't, it doesn't get overlooked by, by the people who are doing it. But, you know, we understand that. But the people who are, I sort of, I think are like trying to figure it out. They're mm-hmm. like, man, I'm practicing all day and I'm really doing it. And it's like, well, you got to get all the other, all the other stuff happening as well. And then put the two together. Oh man, most certainly. And what's not to be overlooked is personal attitude, mm-hmm. right? Like not falling into negativity because times are tough or because the gig is late or because you don't like the music or, you know, that the, the all the guys that you've mentioned so far, like Greg Bissonnette, Russ Miller, um, I'm even thinking guys like Sean Pelton's a buddy of mine. Like mm-hmm. these guys are incredibly positive people. Yeah. You know, like you know what I mean? And it's like that's the kind of person somebody wants to tour with. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of person someone wants to be in a dark recording studio for 16 hours with. Right. You know, and 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 so all those things go together. And so I would just say to any of your listeners, like having a career in this business is such a privilege as it is to make a living. You know, being successful isn't necessarily being on the cover of Modern Drummer. It's making a living in the industry. And right. one of the ways to do that it sounds so simple, but it's approach every gig like it's your last and you just love being there and you love the people around you. And that that's the best way to get more work, because if, if everything is a chore to you or people perceive it that way, they don't want to be around a person like that. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you're the best player. Like, I, I mean, Gre- I've known Greg God, since I was a little boy, probably about nine or 10 years old, and I've never once ever seen him be negative. Right you know, ever. And that's one of the secrets to his success. I think he's, you know, he's always in a better mood than I consider myself an upbeat person. That right. dude is like super happy all the time. I'm like, great. It's not over the that? top though. It's not like annoying happy. He's no. just like, he's just in a good mood, you know, but it's, it, and, and the point is too, is it's not superficial. I just think if you look at things like, wow, instead of, Oh, I got to go do this blues gig tonight. And it's going to be a lot of shuffles. Oh, like right. if you look like, man, I get to play shuffles all night and get paid. This is awesome. Yeah. How bad? I mean, you know, I could be digging a ditch. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there in years. Um, but I will say that like, I still respect every gig and every time I'm, you know, I still pinch myself that I have endorsements and that companies want to take care of me and that artists want to hire me and people want to record with me. And I don't take it for granted because it can be gone like that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and nobody owes me a living. Nobody owes me a gig. It's completely on me. Yeah, totally. Especially when you start to develop that, that attitude, all of a sudden those endorsements start to go away and those gigs start to go away and people stop hiring you because it's like, man, I don't want to work with this dude because it's like you said, it's the, it's two hours on stage, but it's living with them in a bus or, you know, or living them with them in a studio or whatever the case may be. It's like, man, I don't, because there's so many, if you were in the middle of nowhere and you, you know, and you were the best drummer in the town, then people don't really have a choice. They got to hire you because you're the best guy. But like in LA or Nashville or New York, it's like, there's a thousand other guys that can, that can come in and play the stuff that you're playing. Yeah, Not you specific. I don't mean that like, in a, no, I, I, but, you know but I, I, mean? I, I completely agree with that. And it's why it's such a privilege to do what we do. And um, again, it sounds so simple, but the simple, like 
simple things. Okay. So let's say someone that's listening to this podcast, excuse me, is playing, you know, bar gigs on Friday and Saturday nights. Mm-hmm. Some of the simple ways to success is thanking the sound man at the end of the night, thanking the band leader for inviting you on the gig, right? Like thanking the rest of the musicians for making you sound good. Cause they did, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, those, those are truths, right? Unless but it's, it's like, it's not cool to do that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Cause you know, it's not cool. What's not cool is not working on Saturday night. <laughs> right. That's what's not cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I remember there's this one time years ago, I had another to not be named person, like vibing me all night watching the gig, you know? And right. I finally just said, hey, man, I'm working on Saturday. Like, right. not, like, like you know? Right. I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it all depends. Like, I'm happy to do those things because I'm happy to be working. And, you know, it goes to the same with teaching or writing books or articles for Modern Drummer. Like, I'm happy to do every single one of those things. And I just pinch myself that people even want to listen to it or read it, you know, right. and, right. I'm, and I'm thankful for it. And, and I think if I think most musicians that are making a living at it are. And I think that's why people continually tune in, right? They, that's why they go watch them on YouTube. That's why they read their articles on Modern Drummer. That's mm-hmm. why you go to their concerts because, you know, you're kind of drawn in by the whole package. It's not really just the playing. Right, right. No, I agree. I agree. So let's, I want to fast forward a little bit because what you've done from, you know, moving to LA and, and starting to get this touring work to where you are now, there's a, there's a, a delta there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's sort of talk about, okay, I, I I get the I started touring and so how did you take that and really leverage it to to jump your jumpstart your career to where it is now? I just begged a lot of people. No, well, that works. <laughs> just pay people. You know, normally I just pay people. It's a lot easier. You know, it again. It's it, I, I, I'm excited to tell the story. It is super not glamorous, which is what I like to talk about. Um, so I got to town, but and- that's the, that not to cut you off, but that's the truth though like yeah. i don't i don't think that telling some some glamorous story is going to help the audience anyway you know what i mean yeah, so else, like yeah. i like getting into the trenches man i'm like yeah. let's talk about how you know let's let's talk about how this happened for you i'm 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 your guy man i'm like down and dirty and just like the truth and and so i had gotten to town and one of the one of the guitar players that i used to listen to growing up his name was rick holmstrom mm-hmm. and a very well known like blues and roots and soul guitar player he actually works with mavis staples right now mavis staples and he was a hero of mine and, and when i was doing regional tours um I happened to meet him on some festival gigs, like in the backstage areas. And Mm -hmm. there was one time I was playing in Memphis, Tennessee, playing at the Orpheum. And we got pulled in together to play together at the after party, like a jam session. And so I was up on stage with him and a few other musicians. And it was like, oh, man, cool. All right. Nice to meet you. All right, cool. You know, hug, handshake, the end of it. And fast forward three weeks later, I see him at another festival, like, you know, you know, like kind of like, you know, Des Moines, Iowa, you know, jazz and blues fest, you know, and we're we're playing opposing stages and hugs and handshakes. And so I got to LA and, you know, uh, a few years later after we had kind of stayed in touch and he had just gotten his own record deal and, you know, outside of being a side man and he was putting a band together and um, had called me and said, would you be interested? And at this time, it was right when Pro Tools and Tape were still fighting it out. Right. And he had done this record with Rob Schnaff, who had done all the Foo Fighters records, and then this electronic producer, Genome, and also DJ Logic. And he took all these roots and blues and jazz grooves and chopped them up and made like loops and samples and real crazy mm-hmm. like DJ-esque kind of stuff. And he said, would you be in to be in the band with me? Um, and then we'll build the band around the two of us, you know, cause we get along. And I thought, this is awesome. And, and he said, 
but you know, how good are you with electronics? And I said, oh, I know electronics really well. Right. 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 You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I've got this, Rick. Don't you worry about it. And I hung up the phone and uh, well, let me fast. He goes, cool. So I want you to come down to this studio. I mean, you're going to pick up these hard drives. You're going to start putting the loops and samples together and trigger stuff with the band and blah, blah, blah. So I hang up the phone. And I'm like, yeah, awesome. I got the gig. And then it goes from... Um, uh, pride to panic. Cause I, st- I go, I go like, Oh my God, I got the gig. Like, I don't know about any of this stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you're like I don't even know what a sample is. So I got to like, find like, out that first. You know, so I'm like, Oh my God. And this is before laptops and everything. So right. I call a buddy of mine, Danny Cox, who was back in Detroit. He like did work with Bob James and everything. He's like, okay, you got to get in a Kai MPC. You got to get a drum kit. Yeah. You got to do this. And I literally for about a month, like grew a beard and like read manuals and was programming and all that stuff. And, you know, then went out on the road and with these guys, with DJ Logic, um, John Medeski from Martin Medeski nice. did, did part of the record with us too. So we played with John. Yeah. Billy so, actually lives like, um, right up, not right up the street, but he lives about 20 minutes up the road from me. Oh, cool, man. Yeah. yeah I love his playing. And, and, and so long story short with that, I, I really got to kind of cut my teeth and was allowed to make mistakes. Cause we were kind of all making those mistakes together. Right. Like, like, so as an example, I, I put together and I programmed this whole set of material where I was triggering loops and samples in real time. And then, you know, like our first gig of the tour, I didn't realize there's a thing called threshold where if something gets too loud, it sets off all the samples. So, you know, the guitar goes, and then every sample goes off at once, you know, like all that crazy stuff. And so basically Rick allowed me to cut my teeth and make a bunch of mistakes um, while we toured. And I really was able to kind of develop an approach uh, to using electronics, um, particularly in roots music and trigger things in real time and work with, you know, um, samplers and MPCs and all that stuff. And so oddly enough, that's what I became known for because we were, we were touring with the Dirty Dozen Brass Band, which is where I met Terrence Higgins that we mm-hmm. talked about earlier. And, you know, uh, Stanton Morton, the Galactic Guys and Susan Tedeschi we were out with and the Grey Boy All-Stars and the Blind Boys. And so, you know, we did like Bonnaroo and we did all that stuff. Right, right, right. Who was playing with, uh, with Grey Boy at the time? Do you remember? Oh God, I don't know. I don't yeah. remember. It was, guy, it was, you know, I didn't know if uh, Eric Cowb was playing with him or not. I don't think it was Eric. No, I would have no. known that. I would have known. I would have remembered that. And and so we kind of did this whole scene. And you know, John Medeski for a while kind of took me under his wing, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. And you know, so we kind of got like, okay, I'm this funky, jazzy drummer that works with electronics. And um, I would back in the day re- record um, all the sets on mini disc and then listen back. And I would make notes of what you know. I'd be on the gig like I'm burning, I'm burning. I sound awesome. I sound awesome. And I'd listen right. back to the gig tape. I'm like. <laughs> that's not awesome that kind of sucks you know like and so and so i would make all these like road notes and so my playing jumped let's say from here to here like much right. higher in a short period of time because i was able to take some chances and so um i tell that story because that was a good couple of years i mean we were touring for nine and ten weeks at a time seven mm-hmm. days a week and so my playing took a jump my networking took a jump because i was meeting everybody and then no one was using electronics at the time. So it was like, right. I was one of the first guys to really use that a lot. What, what year was that? I think that was 2002, 2002, 2003. Was that like the so second Bonnaroo? I, I believe so. Yes. Then I, I saw, I saw you guys then. Yeah. 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 yeah we, cause know, I was, I, I was there and I'm thinking, I'm like, cause DJ logic was there. Gray boy. All stars were there. Yep. yep. Um, who, I don't remember. I, I think maybe Jack Johnson was there, and he was. No, he was there too. He was okay, there. Too. The Roots. Yep. James Brown was there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. No, I was there. Yep. 
And so, um, you know, so I was able to cut my teeth and I kind of got known as electronics. And so oddly, so that was like, that was like the first main gig that I had done where I was able to really network. And so once that tour ended and I kind of got off the road, it was interesting. Greg Bissonette actually called me and said, Hey man, I literally got done with the last tour date, went to bed, woke up the next morning and Bissonette goes, Hey man, I'm doing this clinic down at Musicians Institute. Um, you want to come? And I'm like, I don't know, man, I'm really tired. I just got off the road. And my wife, who's awesome said, you know, you should just go see your buddy Greg. And so I got out of bed, super tired, came over to Musicians Institute and he was playing in the big concert hall and he invited me up to play with him. And so we started playing at this clinic and they offered me a job to teach at MI. Nice. And so in those two moments, those kind of took my career in terms of like, okay, I had touring experience working with electronics and then I was, and because of my education and everything, I was able to then teach at MI and, Mm -hmm. um, I started Chuck Silverman, who was a dear friend of mine who I miss every day, um, through teaching at MI and knowing about the things I did with electronics, got me my first book deal. And I wrote book, my first book was called playing with drum loops, which goes back to the touring experience. Right, right, right. And so within that three or four year period of the tour, all of a sudden I was able to leverage all my contacts for gigs, um, teach at MI, put a book out, which then enabled me to kind of be in modern drummer, like for article, not only write articles, but have like a small feature and that like, so you're asking like, what was the first culmination? It was like, that was that perfect storm of, you know, if I hadn't played with Rick or John Modeski or DJ Logic, if I hadn't, if Greg hadn't called me to go to MI, right. right, right. And and then if Chuck hadn't gone to bat for me, go, you got to get this kid to write a book. You know, you know, like it was that perfect storm of all those opportunities kind of coming together. And then from that moment, without going into specifics, then everybody kept hiring me for working with electronics, both live in the studio. I became like a specialist in that Mm -hmm. Um, modern drummer from that point on. I've been a columnist ever since Um, I taught at MI for a good 10 years before my, you know, with my current position. And then, uh, you know, I've put out. 10 books and three DVDs. That's awesome, man. And so it like, but like, so that was how I kind of started where it was just like, Oh, you get one call that you kind of get your way in. I hustle. I work super hard. I I practice. I read manuals. I do the whole thing. And then knowing that you only get one of those, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, like, like realizing in that moment, I think my, my master stroke with that Nick was not how awesome I played or how awesome I was, but knowing that was the one moment that I had to seize because if I didn't seize that, there might not be a, a second lily pad in the pond. Right. And it's, you know, it's an interesting story of you sort of niching yourself into something, whether it be, you know, on purpose or not, but the fact that you're saying, okay, this is kind of a thing that people are starting to call me about. Let me leverage that and say, yeah. and, and sort like, sort of like what Stanton Moore did with new Orleans drumming and, you know, and things like that. It's saying, you know, with me, like I do a lot of the stuff with, with like business and growing your audience and things like that. So I'm not like the online lessons guy. You don't go to me for that. But if you want to learn about how to grow your social media and your, your, you know, your, uh, your online presence and your audience, then you come to me and I can help you with that. So like, I love the idea of niching yourself instead of trying to be, you know, the master of, or the, uh, the jack of all trades of, of, yeah, I do this and this and this and this, because then it's sort of like just spreads everything yeah. out. 
you know. And, and you know, and I, I think you're right. And, and I think it's also realizing kind of what makes you, meaning the listener or you or I or whomever special, like mm-hmm. what do you do that is inherently special? And for myself, like it's, I have this odd skill set. <laughs> like um, I love playing roots music and I, I can play jazz and funk really well. I'm not much of a rock guy, mm-hmm. um, although I can play it, but you know, like jazz and blues and funk. And then I love that time in American music. And then I love pure electronics. Right. So I have this weird, like, you know, gap in my playing that seems to work because, you know, a lot of, a lot of DJs love using old blue note records and all that stuff. And once I figured out that that was something that was unique to me that a lot of people my age at the time, 25 years old, didn't have, I just wanted to run with it because sure. I'm never, and, and I mean this with respect, I'm never going to beat Kenny Aronoff at his own game. Like mm-hmm. he's awesome. He's a great rock and pocket drummer. And if I wanted to be him, I could never be him or Josh Freeze. Not because necessarily I don't have the talent because they're already doing it at such a high level. And it's right. so locked up, you know, that and I just. Ken, and he's Ar- Kenny Arnoff's already Kenny Arnoff. Exactly. You and know? so I just really learned that like, hey, I might have a niche by whatever reason, by the way that I grew up, by the things that I studied, by the opportunities that presented themselves. And I just wanted to maximize those rather than lamenting what I didn't have. Mm-hmm. You know, know, I think a lot of people make that mistake of trying to like check off the boxes and like the things that they're not good at or the things that they don't gravitate to. Not that I'm saying that you shouldn't work on things that you're not good at, but it's like if you're if you're if you feel like you need to be a jazz player because everybody says you should be a jazz player. And for years, you're you're like, oh, I'm going to try to practice jazz and learn jazz. And you never do. But it's like I still got to check it off my list. Like at some point, it's like, man, just take it off the table. You're not going to be this heavy jazz guy. It, just stop trying and work on the strengths and where, where your interests lie. You know, everybody says you should follow your passion. I think that you should follow your interests personally. Yeah, I agree. And it's a different industry now. I mean, even I'm sure when we were both coming up, you know, it was kind of trying to be like, you have to be versatile to work. You have to know all your styles. You got to play mm-hmm. brushes. You gotta, that doesn't exist anymore, really. I mean, that's the dirty secret. Like, you know what I mean? Unless, you know, and th- there's nothing wrong with doing this, but short of playing a wedding gig, like, I get asked to do a very narrow set of things at this point in my career. Right. And, and, and so it's kind of ceased to exist somewhere in the last decade about how versatile one needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, now, versatile style wise, now skill set wise, I think you have to be more versatile. Um, as an example, Nick, a drummer to be successful in today's market, as far as I'm concerned with my personal opinion, you must be able to record yourself, mm-hmm. right? You must be able to mic and record yourself to be able to give people other tracks. Um, you want to have, you want to understand a decent amount about online marketing and being, having your website and having a unified vision for who you are, whether it's a press kit or what have you. And you mm-hmm. also have to, you know, have good, um, English skills, meaning like business letters, emails, all right. those sorts of things. And, and so the, the versatility factor has left the drum kit and it's gone into the other areas of technology, in my opinion. Right. I, I totally agree with you, man. I tell you know, you, like, there's a lot of people who just don't get it. They're amazing players, but it's like, man, if you could just get that together, you would be killing it. But yeah, well, I'll give you an example. Like, and this is a true story. Like I, we all collect vintage gear and we have great drum sets and all this. I made the most amount of money as a musician when I bought two MacBook pros 
because I was like, you got the MacBook Pros. We're going to get you on the gig because you're going to trigger. You know, you're like, you know, and, and, you know, and now I have a studio on my property, a separate building from my house. And I've got a control room and then a tracking room with a kit mic 24 seven. And it's really turned if I didn't have that room and I know Russ feels the same way, Russ Miller, because we talk Mm -hmm. about it. He's got a room and, you know, I film my DVDs there. I film my modern drummer videos there. I record myself there and send it to people. It's like without knowing how to do that, at least in Los Angeles at this point, it, it makes it more of a challenge you know yeah, yeah, yeah so i would just encourage anyone listening to just try to have a broad skill set with a narrow artistic focus yeah i you know i couldn't agree more man there's one thing that i want to do i want to be i want to be uh cognizant of your time but i've i we've talked about all of this great all of these great things that you've done and and you know how to succeed but i also like to talk about the f word which is failure and some yep. maybe a failure that you had that really stuck out in your mind and how you overcame that and and what your advice is for for dealing with that sort of thing oh man that's a great question i i think um to, to say that no one in this business has failures is a complete falsehood. I mean, I fail all the time. Um, it's, it's kind of what you do with it. It's what you make of it. It's turning it around. Um, I've had some really painful experiences and I've had some really awesome experiences. And one of the most painful ones, it sounds silly now that I'm older, but I remember when I first got to LA, I was hired to do a casual gig and casuals are kind of like what the East coast knows as GB gigs or general business gigs or top 40 gigs or, and so it was for Norman Lear's son's bar mitzvah. It was a big casual. It was like, you know, I think Jerry Seinfeld was there and Lewis black and like all these guys and stuff. And I was subbing for someone and it was sort of like, I was the lame duck on the gig, meaning like you're going (laughs) to show up, man, there's a chart book. Right. And so I show up and there's a drum set set up and it's a, 26 inch kick a 14 rack time a 16 floor and all the symbols are level right like a like a hard rock kit you know right, right. and the wedding not the wedding planner but like the event planner says that's for so-and-so son's band that's going to play on the breaks you have to use that kit and you can't adjust anything and so i'm like okay cool no problem hey what's the first song you're going to play tonight oh it's just what is hit by tower's power <laughs> You know, like by Tower Power. And I'm like, so I've got I've got a, a five piece horn section, full rhythm section, four backup singers, a lead vocalist, a string section. And the first song of the night is What is Hip? Unlike the Tommy Lee special. Nice. Right. Like and, 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 and it was, look, it, it, at the time, at the time, I thought I was the worst musician ever. And as I look I'm back, I'm just picturing like these huge toms that are just like yeah. side, like just facing you. And it's got the ride symbol that's tightened down and it's perfectly, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah, that. choked Here's to death. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so, man, um, as it was, go- as it was going on, um, it was really, it was really kind of crazy that, um, you know, that, like I would have the backup singer saying, no, it needs to be faster. And I'd have the, the horn section saying it needs to be slower and just everything was going on. It was completely crazy. And, uh, long story short, the gig didn't go well. I mean, it was a crash and burn and everybody hated me, you know, and it was, right. and, you know, and I went home that night and I thought, oh, I'm a bad musician. I'm never going to work ever again. The band hated me. I sounded like crap. And as I look back on it, it was one of the best things that happened to me because number one, I never took another casual because I'm like, well, this isn't for me anyway. So right. I never went down that realm, which would have, I might've missed tours. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then secondly, I got super tough skin super quickly, um, you know, at, at the time. So it, it actually turned out to be a great thing that at the time was super, super painful. Right. Um, but complete, what I thought at the time was complete and other failure. I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I've only done one 
quote unquote casual myself. <laughs> I, well, actually, I did. I was subbing for a guy and then they were like, hey, do you just want to play in this wedding band full time? And it paid great. The third gig in the first two gigs, we'd been using wedges. And then the third gig in, they neglected to tell me that they were going to all go direct and use in-ears <laughs> and didn't tell me. So right. I get there and like the bass player counts off and he starts playing. I can't hear anything except the slap back from the from the PA hitting the wall and coming back. That's all I could hear. Needless to say, I played horribly yep. and got yep. fired. So, yeah. no, but that's the, but, you know, when you look back on those things, you like, you know, the situation at the time, it feels like it's the end of your life. Right. But, yeah, it was it, it sucked. Yeah. I mean, and you know, there's you know, there's there was a session that I did one time. And, you know, when I first got to L.A., another one of these was, well, OK, it pays this much plus cartage. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's cartage? And they're like, well, you know, so you, you'll have a few hundred dollars for somebody to set up your drums. I thought, yeah, 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 sure. So I wanted to make the extra money and like set up my own drums. Right. So I get there <laughs> and the producer's talking to me and says, well, what time does the drummer get here? And I go, well, I'm the drummer. And he's <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> and just stop talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, cause I'm setting up my own stuff. Right. 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 So then everybody's vibing me. Right. And so I'm nervous, you know, and I'm just like, well, what they're like, well, yeah. And the man, this is not, you know, almost like the vibe was like, this isn't going to groove. This could be awful. And after the long story short, after the session went well, they kind of pulled me aside and said, listen, man, Abe Jr. is here tomorrow. He's not setting up his own drums. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right, right. you know, save yourself for the session kind of thing. And just all those little, all those little things that sort of add up where in the moment you're like, Oh my God, it's over. They, I, you know, like <laughs> I'm the you know, idiot you know. that shows up and sets up my own stuff. <laughs> Exactly. And, you know, looking back on it, it's so silly and it's, but it's a fact of the business that there's tons of little failures that happen. It's kind of what, you know, just like we talked about with maintaining positivity, it's kind of what you do with them because if, if you don't, if you don't look at it in the right light, they can be roadblocks, Right. you know, you know, but, but looking at like, Hey, you know, you're all, we're all going to make mistakes. It's what we do with them. We got to learn from them, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'll tell you from that moment on, I never set up my own stuff again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even even if I broke even on a gig, by the way, like even if it, you know, like even if it would like cost right. me a little bit because the perception then to be able to get to the next rung was more important than the extra dollar amount. That totally makes sense. That's a good that's a good life lesson there. If you're if you're especially in L.A., you know, if you're doing if you're doing the card, thing, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so do you teach privately as well outside of M.I.? I do. I'm not as often anymore. I mean, my official my official gig at Musicians Institute right now is I'm uh I'm vice president of academic affairs at this point. And so I kind of oversee a lot of the academics. I don't teach as much, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate. Um, but I teach um, privately on the outside um, to, to, to students that are very interested and committed. Okay. So like I, I make the time for those that, um, you know, if you're coming in, you're like, hey, I want to learn a five stroke role or, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, by right. the way. But just like, you know, when I've got guys that have already graduated from MI or from Berkeley or whatever, and they want to get some stuff together, then like I completely make the time, you right. know. More intermediate in advance. Exactly. Exactly. So where should people go if they want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about you, if they want to interact with you? Oh, you know, my website's a great place. It's donnygrindler.com, um, D-O-N-N-Y-G-R-U-E-N-D-L-E-R.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook under, you know, Donnie Grindler, Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, 
Same thing. Um, you know, if anybody's interested in my work, I've got videos on YouTube. I've got books out like playing with drum loops. Um, I've got a book on dubstep drumming out. Um, Hal Leonard just released a couple weeks ago. I've got a book on jazz drumming, which is cool. Nice. Um, now the jazz drumming book is interesting because it kind of sounds like, oh, well, if I'm not a jazz player, I'm not interested. It's written from the standpoint of you're not a jazz drummer, but you want to get a good once over, you know, I like it, which is which well is needed. Exactly. So this is what the head of a tune is. This is what comping really is without being crazy. Here's a few solos to get you through a gig and here's Mm -hmm. some tunes to practice to, you know, like that sort of thing. So, um, you know, any and all that stuff. I mean, I'm online, type me in Google, I'll come up somewhere. You'll see pictures of me young and old in intermediate (laughs) ages, you know, Uh, (laughs) um, you know, uh, there's a lot of before and after Donnie Grindler pictures online. I've been around long enough, you know, like this is the before, this is the after, uh, all that stuff. But, but, um, yeah, I mean, I encourage my, my email address is also Donnie at Donnie So if anybody's interested, wants to reach out, I do respond to all my emails. Um, sometimes it takes longer than other times, depending on commitments and things like that, but I always respond. Cool. And I'll make sure that I link up to everything that we talk about, I'll make sure it's in the show notes, links to your social media, links to your website, links to, you know, your books and all that stuff. And that'll be at drummersresource.com forward slash session one, three, two. And Donnie, I want to say thank you, man. I appreciate everything you do in the drumming community. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with me today, man. It's been a pleasure, ton of fun. I appreciate it. You're welcome to come back anytime, man. Oh man. Likewise, you know, I'm, I'm down for whenever I feel like we, you know, I feel like we get along so well, I could give you another two hours yeah we should we should talk man i have some uh, i have some ideas that, that we can we can talk about so nice well thanks for having me i really appreciate it and, absolutely you know, man you know everybody out there keep listening to the to the blog it's a fantastic place to be and you know listen to each and every interview i'm sure there's some good nuggets in there from all of us appreciate that man thank you again and uh i'll talk to you soon sounds good thank all you right, man thank you So there you have it, Mr. Donnie Grindler. I really hope that you enjoyed that interview. I know that I did. I thought the content in there was really, really useful. And there's some real world nuggets in there. For links to everything that we talked about, including ways that you can connect with Donnie, check out drummersresource.com forward slash session one, three, two. And if you're struggling with your career, you don't know which way is up and you're trying to figure it all out and you need some career consulting or life consulting, head over to drummersresource.com forward slash coaching. It'll give you all the information on my one-on-one coaching program and also a way that you can set up a quick 15-minute Skype call with me to go over everything that you're trying to achieve, some issues that you're having, and we'll check out if I can help in any way, and then we'll go from there. Check it out, drummersresource.com forward slash coaching. And until the next time, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I really, really do appreciate it. If you're digging the podcast, leave me a rating and review on iTunes. I would really, really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you soon. Peace.